Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else. Even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. A lot can happen in three years. Like a chatbot may be your new best friend. But what won't change? Needing health insurance. United Healthcare Tri-Term Medical Plans, underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage that lasts nearly three years in some states. Learn more at UH1.com. Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news... All right, I'll do. It. Sign up now and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. Mintmobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45 equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply if rated PG. Welcome to Health and Safety Conversations. Here's your host, Tom Bourne. Hi, and welcome to Health and Safety Conversations. I'm Tom Bourne, your host, and with me today is Brent Sutton. Brent, how are you? Well, very good. Thanks, Tom, and, and thank you for inviting me onto your show. Excellent. I've, I've been wanting to have you on for a while, little while. Um, Brent, can you tell us, the listeners, a little bit about yourself and your journey so far in safety? Sure. Well, look, sadly, I've I've um, been involved in the safety side of risk management for twenty plus years. Um, so you know, by now I would have got out of it. Um, <laughs> and I've really been focusing uh, in what some people talk about the new view of safety in the last sort of seven years, but I don't call it new view. I just basically call it um, about you know learning from everyday work. And and for me, you know, safety is a learning journey because yeah. safety is not an outcome; it's a journey. That's right. That's right. It's it, it, because if it's just a journey, that there has to be a destination, doesn't it? Well, if you if you think about the notion of continuous improvement, continuous improvement says that we'll never reach perfection, as we just have to look for those opportunities to improve. Yeah. I suppose that's the journey. The journey of safety is looking for those opportunities. Yeah. For those of us who have grown up to be uh, conditioned to be goal-orientated, that's a pretty depressing view. I mean, if we could, we just have to keep going and there'd never be a, an end. But I, I, I do understand the point. But, um, yeah. So, Brent, you've done pretty much everything I can see in the safety sphere. You've been training safety, lecturing safety, you've been a risk management specialist, uh, podcaster on Safety FM, author, managing director of learning teams. Um, for you, which has been the most satisfying role? And um, can you tell us why? I'd actually like to say that it's a balance of all of the above. So so for me, if, if I think about my training and lecturing um I lecture in the Diploma of Safety, and in many cases, it's trying to help those safety practitioners that want to become safety professionals, and it's trying to sort of uh, co-construct with them 
what humanized safety looks like. Whereas other parts of training that I do, it's actually working um, with people around what does actually good risk management look like. Because, because in safety, our focus on risk management is always seen as a threat. When in fact, risk management balances between threats and opportunities. Yeah. So when I look at when I look at you know when we talk about machinery safety as a good example, I look at that and say that is an opportunity to learn, yeah. rather than people saying why why would someone put their hand in that machine? Yeah, you talk about the new view of safety uh, in your in your little uh, one of your first answers there. Um, for those who aren't familiar with it, what does it tend to focus on? It, it tends to focus on why things go right rather than why things go wrong. Yep. Yeah. It's easy to find out in hindsight why something went wrong because it becomes hugely obvious. Yep. But if we're so good in hindsight, why are we so poor in foresight? Why are we so poor at predicting or seeing that event or that error coming? So the new view really is trying to better understand um, why things go right. And if we can understand that, then we can create the conditions for people to be more successful. The new view, from what I've seen and read and uh, heard, um, encourages safety practitioners to basically go and observe and talk to workers uh, almost on a daily basis to literally observe why things go right the way they currently are and to learn from that. Um, in your experience, is that always a practical, uh, is, that, is that able to be applied practically in the field? Uh, look, I, I, I've, I've probably got a different view to most because I, I promote the fact that learning from everyday work uh, needs to happen amongst the workers and the work groups themselves. That so much of what we do in safety is actually based on an intervention. And what I'd like to see, I'd actually like to see uh, workers and work groups leading that themselves and the organisation supporting them. There, there are times when the organisation needs to intervene. And, and I know intervene is a really interesting term, but the difference here is how often do workers ask for a take five? How often do workers ask for a JSA? How often yeah. do workers ask for a checklist? So if they're not asking for it, it's an intervention. Yeah, yeah. Look, um, I agree. I think intervention is actually a really good word. I think it's an appropriate word. Um, but you know what you're actually asking here, Brent? You're actually asking people in safety and management to kind of give up some of their control um, um how do you go about getting that to happen you know, i i think there is a balance i mean we, we call it um um in this new view which isn't new it's quite old but in this new view there's a difference between that safety person being a facilitator of change versus that safety person being a knowledge holder and that's that switch between that we call the mental models between being an expert and being curious. Yeah, yeah. And everyone in safety is conditioned to be an expert. Yes. Well, you know, I learned a long time ago that the people who face the risk 
have the most knowledge about the risk. Yeah, that's absolutely true. It's absolutely true. Uh, I've I've worked as a supervisor before, and I can tell you now. Um, the first day I actually worked as a supervisor um, for a fairly large company over here. I actually spoke to the people I was supervising and I said, look, I'm not an expert in this. But I, you, you, you have, you people have a lot more experience in doing this process than me. If there's something we can do better rather than what we're currently doing, you know, can you tell me so we can do it? And, um, uh, yeah. One of the one of one of the older experience ladies came up to me and said, "Is this some sort of new management tactic? Is it?" And I said, "Just be just be being honest. You you know more about the process than me." So, well, I mean, uh, I, I got to tell you, it's an old management tactic because it was Edward Deming's work. You know that that Edward Deming, who who really is like the the, the I suppose the the grandfather of um, you know modern management and particularly around quality and lean. You know, he just talked about this whole notion of of being curious and 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 learning and better understanding, and that's why I'm puzzled that when we talk about the new view of safety, um, this is not new to other um, types of risk. Things like quality, for instance, that's how they've operated for quite some time. I think the issue here is that we have treated safety as a technical subject matter. And I think that stemmed from a lot of our legislation. Yeah, yeah. I guess also um, a, a lot of the, uh, I don't know, uh, older school practitioners uh, approach safety with a sort of more behaviourist point of view where, where it's a, we're going to do stick or carrot for the workers if they follow, uh, whether they follow the policies and procedures that have been imposed on them from uh, higher level management or the safety team. Um, you know, the stick being that if, if you do something wrong or if some incident happens, you will get punished, you'll get sanctioned, as opposed to um, we have some of the larger some larger resource companies over here that if, uh, you know, reporting on certain safety factors uh, is meet certain guidelines or goals, the workers or the manager and supervisor is financially rewarded, um, which uh, I, I think it's kind of silly because we're actually rewarding um, non-reporting. It's not meant to be like that. It was one of those systems that was, you know, it, it was done with good intentions, but I see it's basically discouraging accurate reporting, which... Um, well, yeah. look... Yeah, I think I think a couple of things here, Tom. Leaders can reward for um, learning mm -hmm. and performance. Remember that when we when we put monetary elements around something, we're rewarding for a behaviour. So I don't I don't have an issue with the reporting component. What I have an issue with is what is it actually telling us? Because in, in many cases, it's not actually giving us the real context of what's happening. It's just a piece of data. Yeah, true. And and I don't have a problem with measuring things. So so the, you get these different views on safety at the moment. Mm -hmm. one, one group saying, you know, this whole thing around Treffer and LTIs. Okay. Mm -hmm. um, for me, that's simply telling me how the hazard's performing. Yeah. Okay. 
But none of that tells me how is our management of the risk performing. That's simply telling me that the hazard has done its job. Because remember, you can only be hurt if the thing that can harm you releases energy. So that data is simply saying it's done its job. But what's telling us around the things that are present that are stopping that from happening? And I think this is where we sort of get these um, these disconnects. So, so you know, and we don't do leading KPIs very well. And I think that's part of our challenge. But in risk management, uh, we actually look at risk as being both a threat and an opportunity. So a lot of the organizations I end up um, coaching or mentoring in the space, we actually develop ways of measuring the presence of our safety rather than its absence. I think that's the challenge. Yeah, yeah. Which probably leads me to the next lovely question over here. Um, you're the managing director of learning teams. Um, can you tell us a little bit about that? Yeah, well, so um, learning teams is the original work of uh, Dr. Todd Conklin. And uh, Todd um, published what I consider to be the, the seminal work on learning teams in 2016. And learning teams is simply a way of engaging with workers to better understand that gap between workers imagined versus workers done. So when an event happens, it comes as no shock that how the work is how the work was being done was different to how the organization expected it. That should not come as a surprise. No. But the problem no. that we have with investigations, it places the person in the center. And if the spotlight is on you, Tom, I don't know how you feel, but it's pretty easy to start feeling blamed yep, or start absolutely. feeling punished because you're focusing on it. So what a learning team does is a learning team places the system in the center and the workers around the outside. And it asks the workers, what, what does normal work look like? How did the system support you to be successful in normal work? And what was different on the day of the event? Now, I can tell you, I've done a lot of investigations in my lifetime. Mm -hmm. Every learning team I run, workers share with me, why can't we do that more often? When was the last time you heard a worker say to you after investigation, I enjoyed that investigation so much, I can't wait for the next one? That would be zero. Correct. <laughs> Yet 100% of every learning team I run, workers say, I enjoyed that experience. I learned from that experience. I feel much better about what I do. How did that happen? Yeah, yeah. So, so the thing about a learning team, what scares people is its organic nature. Because with an investigation, we have a very defined process. Yeah. So a learning team is quite organic. But it's the conversation that's organic. Is, is, do you find it's a bit like 
almost taking your hands off the wheel and letting trusting the workers to help guide the investigation as as of as opposed to literally controlling the the um, full direction of the investigation the, the thing is the the event itself the accident or the incident it but it's obvious about the 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 what and the why that is that is really obvious yep what the learning team does is it shows you the how and investigations are very poor at showing the how. And investigations really focus on um, uh, root cause, where a learning team really says there is no single one root cause. A learning team really focuses on the system factors. So if, if we go back to, you know, um, a lot of people still love the, um, you know, the five whys. If, if we go back to its um, origin, we go back to its origin um, and what the Japanese talked about. It basically says you have to peel back layers of the onion yes. to see the systemic things that are underneath. That's what a learning team does. Yeah. yeah, A learning team shifts the focus away from people and their actions and it puts a bias around the system and its ability to support normal work. I got, I got to say, uh, the five wires. Um, hmm, uh, I, I, it's one of those things that it's, it's still a simple touched, tool. Yeah, simple, for simple problems. Yeah, I, look to me. Yeah. I, 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 I still have to teach it at least fundamentally because it's part of what we get told to teach. But once you add people into the five whys uh like in an incident which actually involves people it's not just a, a simple mechanical situation i i think inherently you, you're subject to your own personal bias and it's the first probably question and answer that you actually um you 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 supply yourself as an investigator that basically determines the path of what supposedly is the root cause at the end of the wise. Um, I don't, um, I don't have a lot of faith in it. I've got to be honest. Well, I think once again, um, we, we use the five hows quite often rather than the five whys uh, because the, I don't know how you feel, but asking a person repeatedly a why question um, really invokes emotion. Mm. Um, five hows really focuses around um, situations. Yeah, However, um, at, at the end of the day, five whys is quite a useful technique because people can relate to it quite quickly to shift the conversation from being people-centric to being system-centric. So if, if the group if the group says basically um, the supervisor wasn't there on the day, mm. then the five whys can be quite powerful to link that back to if the system was reliant on supervision, what does good supervision look like? Rather than saying the absence of supervision was a causal factor in the event. Yeah, yeah, I can understand that. All right. Um, 
I actually love reading about safety. I think anyone who knows me knows I love reading. At the, the moment, the passion is safety, um, which when I learn and read about safety, I, I take that learning and I, I use it in the classroom to pass on to the students. Mm-hmm. All right, you've co-authored the book, uh, Practice and Learning Teams. Um, can you tell us a little bit about it and where can I and listeners get a copy of it? Yeah, sure. Um, so so why did it come about? Um, it's actually all Todd's fault because um, I was... Uh, he's the root cause. He is the, he is the, he absolutely is the root cause. Um, I was uh, up with Todd um, in uh, Denver in 2018 and a big group of people got together to talk about the future of uh, um, HOP and the future of learning teams. And... Um, we were talking about the fact that learning teams was continuing to grow and be, and continuing to be popular by its nature because once people got into it, it formed very natural. And Todd said to me, he said to me, look, um, here's a challenge. Why don't you write a book about the how and when of learning teams rather than the what and the why? So Todd's original work was all about the what and the why. And that carried me on that journey of then taking that and creating it as the how and the when. So think of it like a field guide. Yes. And it was written for safety people. Mm-hmm. And we've provided some frameworks for those safety people to show them how they can move from their current world Oops. to this world, yet still feel comfortable in doing so. There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with PlushCare. PlushCare accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at PlushCare.com slash weight loss. That's PlushCare.com slash weight loss plushcare.com slash weight loss wow nice yeah what you're hearing are the sounds of people everywhere putting on bomba socks underwear and t-shirts made from absurdly soft materials that feel like plush clouds yeah that plush and the best part for every item you purchase bombas donates another to someone facing homelessness Bombas, big comfort for everyone. Go to bombas.com slash ACAST and use code ACAST for 20% off your first purchase. That's bombas.com slash ACAST, code ACAST. Yeah, I, I, I think that, that that would be extremely handy because I, I look at a lot of the uh, new view of safety and I go, that's fantastic, that's awesome. But how do I get from here to there in a practical sense? And, and and it's and it's scary because um the, the the new view is a lot of it is based around a person's uh competency around what I call soft skills rather than technical skills. And and that can be scary. Yeah, yeah, I can imagine. So so it's about helping them. And the book is available on Amazon. Ooh. It's available both in printed and Kindle mm-hmm. as, as well. And um, it actually got launched. This was the funny thing. Um, it was it was going to be launched in the US in March 2020. Yep. And I was only two weeks from flying up to the US when when uh, the pandemic arrived in New Zealand yes. and Australia. 
So, <laughs> yes, yes, uh, that's two years of our life. We'll never get back, I think. That, that's right. So, so we officially launched the book in August mm-hmm. on the basis that um, this little thing called COVID wasn't going away quickly. Um, and I'm really pleased to say that it still sits in the top 20 safety books um, on Amazon around the world. Awesome. That's awesome. Yeah. So, All so right. an appetite for it. Yeah, definitely. Absolutely. Um, good material, material that actually stimulates your brain and makes you think is always going to be popular. That's that's what I believe anyhow. All right. Um, being in lovely New Zealand, uh, my lovely wife's from New Zealand, but that's a different story. Uh, I'm curious on your take on on the legislative framework uh, that surrounds safety in New Zealand um, and just basically just want to learn more about it. Um, the laws in New Zealand that surround safety, um, workable, effective, or a bit heavy-handed, your opinion? Uh, look, I, I think it's balanced. I, I mean, basically, we have adopted... Um, the Australian element of the legislation in terms of the harmonisation components. Yep. I think the Act itself sets out a series of duties. They are non-prescriptive, and that's not always helpful p- for people. Yeah. Um, is the base is the law based on what good looks like? The answer is no. The law is based on what minimum things need to exist to protect people. So, I, I don't have a problem with the legislation. In New Zealand in particular, we typically regulate around high-risk activities. Mm. And it's that regulation where it becomes far more prescriptive. And um, we currently are releasing more regulation around things like mobile plant and machinery because those things continue to be major sources of, of, of harm. As, as, as they are everywhere. Yeah. Um, but, but at the end of the day, it, it's a criminal procedure. Mm-hmm. Organisations, when events happen, um, you know, our criminal law, which is common across all Commonwealth countries, is that organisations need to be held to account. Yeah. Is that fair? Not always. Because I can't think of, well, in my 20 years, I've only I've only had to deal with three self-harms. Yes. That is workplace events where the, where the person knowingly, you know, caused harm yes and, and i would say to you you know there are obviously some mental health issues around that mm-hmm. but 99.99 of workers go to work not expecting to be hurt or to yes. be killed 99.9 of organizations don't expect to hurt or kill workers true but the problem here is that in these fancy risk registers that we have that in those risk registers death is lurking I can't think of many, say, machinery-based risks or you know, mobile plant risks where the consequence of or severity of those two things coming together aren't life-changing. Yeah. yeah. So this whole notion of what is reasonably practicable is really the biggest issue that we face. Yeah, yeah, and, and let's be honest. If, if if you're going before a magistrate and you've got to argue what's what was reasonably practical and what could have been done or what could have been imagined at the time, it's really subjective on 
I guess, what the magistrate thinks, what a reasonable person would do with um, the knowledge about the, the the risk and the hazards that were present yeah. at the time. What uh, would a prudent person do? Absolutely. It, it, it's a real challenge. But the, the, the point I have with that is, who is a prudent person? Who is this prudent person that we're we're we're, we're basing this reasonably practical on? Because I've never met them. Um, it's everyone's idea of what reasonably practicable in a situation is dependent on their own perception. Yeah, and- look, absolutely. But I, I I probably bring it back to more simple terms. I I sort of I so I talk about it this way. Workers are the only people that face the risk. The organisation faces the risk of um, legislation if it gets it wrong. But workers face the real risk. Yes. The organisation follows good risk management principles in reducing risk. Now, the funny thing about reducing risk is that these things are supposed to reduce uncertainty. Uh, right now, and I think COVID's a really good example. Yeah, oh, um, yeah. where controls didn't work by themselves because it needed it needed layers of protection. That makes sense. Yeah, yeah. and a lot of organisations look at how they control risk, and they look at them as standalone things. When they need to actually look at them, how they work together. And, you know, in many cases, many organisations are having to tolerate what risk is left over. And to me, that space between how people need to work and that residual risk, that's the grey space. And I think that's where things like um, the new view of safety is really good at making that grey space more visible. Um, how safety perceived in New Zealand is it? Is it? Is it? Is it? Is it treated like a, a, an administrative burden, or is it? Is, compliance. Is it, it's, it's, yeah. it's, it's always been compliance. Um, you know. Uh, you know. Once again, it, it is no different to any form of legislated framework that, at a governance level, you are wanting evidence that you are meeting your duties. So whether it's financial compliance, whether it's compliance around privacy, whether, you know, it doesn't really matter what it is. Compliance is compliance. So I don't have a problem with it being um, being compliance. The opportunity here is for organisations to ask themselves, have we done enough and when can we find the opportunity to do more? And from your experience, how do workers actually treat safety in the workplace in New Zealand? I would share with you that workers every day are problem solving and making do with the system that they have to work in. So there was no such thing as the perfect system. So every day, workers face challenges. 
even say for instance if if i think about a manufacturing environment where where risks are more static or hazards are more static that doesn't mean that adaption isn't happening if i think about higher risk industries like construction or forestry or you know agriculture horticulture those risks are dynamic so people are facing the same risks every day but the situations of how those risks are present are constantly changing throughout the day. So workers are having to constantly problem solve in those environments. And that's where systems let people down because the systems were built around a set of assumptions. Yeah, yeah. Uh, I must say also... uh, uh when we think about those uh, activities that uh, are dynamic, I also tend to include any uh, any type of role where you have uh, human interaction, as in people interacting with each other. Um, I've never seen policies and procedures that govern uh, every type of reaction you're going to get from someone you're dealing with at a particular time. Yeah, well, they, they, they can't. They were never designed. So, so, so basically, if we think about the new view, the new view says that systems are degrading mm. from the moment they're put in place. Yeah. And the new view talks about the fact that how does the system learn from the people that face the work so that the system can improve and build resilience? If I think about the old view of safety... We're asking people to conform to the system. Yes. And I think that's probably the the, the, the distinction. Now, if, if you looked at that in the context of lean and manufacturing with Deming, mm-hmm. Deming's work was exactly the same as the new view. Deming's work was to say that quality is always changing and you have to be working with the people on the front line, go to the gimba, as they called it, and understand that and get the work teams to create what they believe is standard work. Because that standard work is a true reflection of how they have to operate every single day. Yeah. And what you're talking about there is, I don't know, uh, actually trusting your people. I mean, again, that's a bridge too far for some employers at, at the moment. Uh, well, I, look, at the end of the day, um, workers are the experts and the knowledge holders of how the work is really done. Yeah, that is so true. All right. Um, a couple of things before we're going to have to wrap it up. Um, curious, uh, your take on industrial manslaughter, industrial manslaughter legislation, which is almost universal across Australia, almost harmonised, but uh, not quite. Um, does it have a place? Uh, personally, No. Um, in New Zealand, we already have provisions under the Crimes Act mm-hmm. for such things. Um, and at the moment, that is what the New Zealand police um, is following through in relation to the Pike River tragedy. Mm-hmm. Um, so that, you know, that will be a really good example because there is no statute of limitation around that Crimes Act, whereas there is a statute around um, a health and safety component. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Okay. Um, Last of all, in the last few years in Australia, uh, there's been a a, a bit of a groundswell 
shift away from focusing just on the physical hazards and people have become a lot more aware of um, psychosocial or psychological hazards and psychological safety in the workplace. Um, has this also happened in New Zealand? Uh, look, it has. It, it is the buzzword. Um, I've I've really been puzzled. I understand why it's become more on focus because COVID has really brought it to more attention. But I, I can recall, um, Tom, uh, six years ago, I was speaking at a national conference showing them the Canadian standard for dealing with psychosocial risks. The Canadians were the first Commonwealth country in the world to develop a standard around psychosocial risks. And it did not get a warm reception. Uh, um. And it's really interesting that ISO 45003 has very much adopted that Canadian standard. Yep. So the, the, I think there's three things. We're still not doing great on managing um, acute harm mm -hmm. from physical risks. We know we're doing really poorly around um, chronic harm, around health risks. And we're doing even worse when it comes to psychosocial risks. Yeah. Yeah. My biggest fear is that organizations look at these three risks together and think that they're all fixable. And I would challenge anyone that psychosocial risks, there is a huge challenge to fix them. And in the absence of fixing, I would argue that your alternative is simply to better understand. Mm. And through that notion of better understanding, can that help to build resilience, both at a worker, work group, and organizational level? Yeah. yeah. And our current systems of safety are based on fixing. Absolutely. Absolutely. But what's a corrective action going to be like? I mean, this is what we fixate on. Yeah, no, well, no learning comes from corrective actions. How do you, how do, how do you, how do you, a hundred percent provide a um, psychologically safe environment when it's not possible? Well, how, how can you, how can you hundred percent provide a safe environment from physical harm? No, you can't. You can't. Yeah. Um, it's it, it it's one of those strange things. I, I think at the moment, it there's certainly. We're improving and how we're managing it where we were, say, 20 years ago, I'll be perfectly honest, um, where people couldn't speak up about anything um, that affected their mental health. Um, but I still see any uh, managing of psychological risks in the workplace is one of the hardest things that not only safety has to deal with, but uh, human resources in organisations still struggling to to work out how they're going to manage it effectively look uh, I, I was running a learning team recently um um with a with a large organization where some drivers well drivers were facing antisocial behavior every day and physical assaults yes and you know really interesting conversation because a whole bunch of them were basically saying you know put shields around the drivers 
Okay. And the drivers are saying, we don't want shields because the shields aren't stopping us being exposed to antisocial behavior. Mm-hmm. So what was really interesting is that no, no one was actually listening to the people that face the risk. And by nature, I'm curious because that, that's that's what I've been trained to, to do. And I asked the question of drivers, what bits did you like about the job? And they talked about their, their connection to community and all these types of things. Yep. I, I asked them, um, what did that look like pre-COVID versus post-COVID as well? And they could articulate that the antisocial behavior was always present, but it's the volume or the frequency that has changed between. And I asked them, how did they cope with it before? And they talked about building connections with those people. But now the number of those people have changed and they can't do that. I then asked them, well, what do you now do now to cope with it? And they talked about how they talk to other drivers and share their experiences. When I asked how the organization deals with it, they basically blame the drivers that the drivers aren't following their um, de-escalation training. Can you see the disconnect? Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. It's just, it it astounds me. Yeah. So so the solution was to take the informal system the drivers were using and build it into our formal system of listening and learning. Do you know how those people felt when they left? Howard? (laughs) Absolutely. And, and what does the law ask us to do? It asks us to do worker engagement, yes. do worker participation, and do worker representation. That's a learning team. Yeah. Now, those people were emotional, not because of recalling events. They were emotional because they hadn't been listened to for a long, long time. Which is what you're right. And so it's what's, what's actually required under the law. So... Yeah. yeah, yeah, we call it WEPA, Worker Engagement, Participation and Representation. And and all I say is is if we think about these different types of risks, what, what does WEPA look like for um, acute harm? What does WEPA look like for chronic harm around health? And what does WEPA look like for psychosocial harm? Yeah. And and I recommend anyone that, that if they were to Google the Canadian standard, the Canadians actually um, wrote a implementation guidebook for small businesses, for medium businesses, and for large businesses. Those resources are are, are, are amazing. Yeah. But don't believe that you can fix the problem. Good. Brad Sutton, um, you've given me certainly something to think about over the next week. Thanks for coming on the show today. I really do appreciate your time, as I'm sure all the listeners do. Um, hope to speak to you soon. Thanks, Tom, and all the best on your show and uh, grow that community practice. Thanks, Brian. Thanks for listening to Health and Safety Conversations with Tom Bourne. Until next time, stay safe and enjoy the rest of your week.